0: What a great evening, huh? Wow. Uh, Isn't it fun to have the kids in here? Uh, There is just this added dose of life and energy, and it's so awesome that Family Fest has had the vision for having KCs so that we can experience both worlds. They're now back in their little world and we're here, but yet to come together is just, just fantastic. It was a good day, and uh, thank you for following up on. I encouraged or invited many of you, if you get a chance, just introduce yourself, and I was trying to meet you, and uh, so it's, uh, it's great, and I hope to meet all the rest of you at some point yet, too. But tonight, um, I want to talk about overcoming insecurities. So here's the question for tonight. How are you doing with your insecurity? Now, let's just take a survey. How many of you here tonight struggle with insecurity? Okay, about half. The rest of you are lying simply because you're too insecure to admit that you're insecure. So I thought it would be just really interesting tonight with a sort of a big, small group if we just started here with Gino, and that we'll all individually stand and share our deepest insecurities. So uh, would you like to go first? Oh, we'd love to go first. I see people peeling off and going to join the kids, right? Oh, we're all insecure, without a doubt. And you might say, well, what is insecurity? There's a lot of fancy definitions, but basically, it's a sense of anxiousness or anxiety or a lack of confidence about how we compare to other people. Insecurity is really about trying to find approval. And if you think about it, ultimately, God made it possible for all of us to be fully approved when we are saved by the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we struggle with insecurity, and it's a it's, it, we all have it. And uh, I'm going to tell you, here's the bad news. We never completely are done with it in this life, uh, but we can learn to, uh, to manage it and to overcome it. Uh, let me just, um, let me give you a picture of insecurity. Katie, what do we have here? There we go. Um, <clears throat> the difference between women and men. Now, I, I have to give a, dis- oh, he's taking a photo of that. Or okay. I'm, t- I'm kind of insecure. Don't take my picture right now. Okay. So if you look at that, The woman, that's really a picture of insecurity. The man, that's a picture of cluelessness, right? So you might say, well, when does insecurity begin? When we're babies, when we're born into this world. In fact, Katie, do you want to put up my uh, baby picture up there? Uh, I think we got it right. There we go. There we go. Yeah. I'm so insecure, I show that only so that I can hear the uh. (laughs) ah, Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it starts when we're young. We're born this way. It's part of having a sinful nature, struggling with who we are and how we measure up and all of that. And it kind of continues in our childhood. I want to show you this picture uh, right there. This is this is me and my younger brother and, uh, you know, struggling with insecurity. So to overcome the insecurity, we started a ventriloquist dummy act and traveled... To, guess who's the dummy? Okay. So I actually... You ask, how long does insecurity continue? All our lives. Now, this is us as adults, and he's still sitting in the same position with me. All right. Overcoming our insecurities. Recently, I read an article that said that in the last two years, with what's going on with COVID, more people around the world are struggling with anxiety, with feeling insecure about their lives and what's going to happen in life than at any time in history. Hey, and we get to be alive during this incredible time in history, right? Insecurity, it's, it's a pandemic. It really, truly is. For me, uh, I started realizing about my own insecurity uh, as a kid, like I was joking about right here. Uh, when I was in grade school, I gained a lot of weight, and I'm just going to say it, when I got into early junior high, I was an overweight, not just chubby, I was really, heavy. I was a fat kid, and I was bullied. So when we talk about kids being bullied, I remember that. I remember I got teased a lot, and the hardest part was getting teased by a couple of family members, not mine. I grew up with wonderful parents who were so encouraging, and... Uh, but that was a thing for me. And I tried so hard to want to measure up, and I wanted the approval from all the skinny kids. And so, you know, God doesn't waste a hurt. That's not my original uh, lingo, that, that's Rick Warren's. God does not waste a hurt. And so, for me to try to overcome and deal with that insecurity of getting teased for my weight, I started telling stories. And I realized pretty soon. That the more stories I told, the more stories other, wanted to, other people wanted to hear other kids. And I could make people laugh by telling stories. Huh. I look back and go, okay, God. It wasn't any fun, but thank you. This is one sliver of why it wasn't an accident or a coincidence that I get to be with you at Family Fest this weekend. It's because God does not waste a hurt. In Genesis 50, we find that what the enemy intended for harm, God can turn to good. I want to read an important verse to you from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 26. For the Lord is our security. He will keep our foot from being caught in a trap. If we're really honest, we'll find ourselves being caught in a trap because at some point... From week to week, month to month, year to year, you and I struggle with insecurity. I remember this morning getting up early and praying, getting ready for today. I had just this momentary thought, and here it is. Oh, I want to do well, but I hope they like me. And a lot of speakers, <laughs> you know, and I'm getting older. And then I find myself, I hope they like me. I hope they don't think I'm too old to keep doing this, right? Now, several of you have said to me, yes, you are too old to keep doing this. I'd, Joe, I think, I think you were the one. Uh, you, you texted me during my talk this morning. Yeah, All right. I'm kidding, kidding. But you, you see how this trap can happen? And then I went, whoop, sorry, Lord. If I'm thinking that way, it's about me. It's about my glory. And God, what you want is for us to give you glory in every way. Because you alone, God, are our security. You want to keep our feet from being caught in the trap of insecurity. Let me take you to the Old Testament, the story of Saul. And I'm just going to review, highlight a little bit what happened in his life and his dealing with insecurity. Uh, You might recall that uh, there was an incident where God had commanded Saul to destroy the Amalekites completely, everything about them, all their possessions, everything. And they were supposed to get rid of everything, but when the battle and the destruction was over... They came to find out that Saul had been keeping some livestock for himself. And so Samuel prods him and confronts him about it. And he says, oh, we just, we just kept a few, some of the prized ones for the sacrifices. 2 Samuel 15, 24, then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people. You see the approval bit there? I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. So basically, his insecurity now shows up in, in three stages. Here's the first stage. If you go back to chapters 9 through 12, he is fearful of not gaining people's approval because when Samuel first comes to him and talks to him about becoming king, he's going, oh, well, what? it was sort of a false humility. What, you mean me? Oh, no. You know, I'm just, I'm just from this, you know, poor family and, oh, no, not, not, not me. The second stage, Saul is obsessed with keeping the people's approval. In chapter 13, Saul is terrified about how his troops are responding to him, and he offers a sacrifice, and the people scatter. And he wasn't supposed to do that. The priests were supposed to be doing that, so he disobeyed. And then in chapter 14, in order to try to keep his soldiers' loyalty to himself, he declares, until we defeat the Philistines... Nobody can eat, because if you eat before the battle's done, I'll kill you. So what happens? The troops are hungry. They eat some honey, and one of them is Jonathan, Saul's own son. Now he's in a predicament. He said he's going to kill anyone who eats before the battle's done. So he is struggling to try to maintain approval. He's, as, he's obsessed with it, and then finally, he's jealous for keeping the people's greatest, the greatest approval. In chapter 16, Saul has a, a mur- murderous jealousy of young David. He's good-looking. He can play the harp. He can take care of sheep. <laughs> he can do everything, right? And he's really jealous because he has learned that David eventually is going to replace him In fact, coming back from battle, the women, they were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And so in chapter 31, it comes to a horrific ending. He kills himself. So it's sobering. Insecurity is a trap that God wants you and I to avoid. And if we're caught in that trap, to be able to find that freedom. So again, worship band, thank you. The songs you chose were absolutely perfect for what we're looking at here tonight. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us to take a look at three choices. Three choices that if we make continually with the Holy Spirit's help, we're going to be able to overcome our insecurity struggle in this life. Here's the first one. We need to remember that our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. I'm just going to read from Galatians 2. Paul writes this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Identity in Christ. It's not in wearing certain merchandise or certain gear. Uh, it's not identity politics. It's not in identity uh, having to do with our 401, how much money we're saving up for retirement. It's not in our social media world. I, I remember several years ago when, uh, when I went on Facebook. Uh, here's another example. I'm being real vulnerable. Here's another example of how insecure I was. Uh, you know sometimes when i 'd speak at something like this, people would friend me on facebook and and so i 'd say, "Sure," and so then I started seeing more and more likes and more and more friends and then my dear friend Bob Stromberg and I he and I would go back and forth how many how many uh, how many friends do you have on Facebook and then I started seeing, "Wow, I need to get to two thousand because bob 's at two thousand, and we would joke about it but there 's There's some real hidden insecurity even in joking about it. Our identity needs to be in Christ and Christ alone. It's not in a position on the org chart. Uh, When I was a kid, I read a book by Bill McKee, and he says, so many people spend a lifetime trying to climb the ladder only to discover that they have their ladder leaning against the wrong wall. Because we don't take it with us, do we? It completely affects our relationship with others when our identity as Christ followers is in something else versus in Christ. Let me give you the second choice that we need to make on a daily basis if we're going to overcome insecurities. Be aware of how our need for approval reveals our insecurity. We need to be aware of it. We need to understand how it works. And uh, I've spent a lot of time the last several years, because not only dealing with my own insecurity, but in working with staff and doing training and leadership development for others, I've come to recognize that the biggest barrier to anyone really being effective, not just in ministry, but in their careers and anything, is dealing with insecurity. So take a look at this statement. And Katie, I think we have it up here. Here we go. Uh, Let's go to that next. Yes, my insecurities show up. When I feel, I feel that I should be in control. I'm going to give you seven examples of how insecurity manifests itself. I need to be in control. Now, <clears throat> all of us have thought of somebody else as a control freak at some point. <laughs> he's, he's laughing. I can't help Spouses, don't look at each other right now. That's, that's not permitted. Uh, we're not thinking about each other being a control. Okay, now we're nudging. We're really getting into it here. But somebody who has to be in control of the relationship, even of the conversation, the meeting, the moment, the perception that others have of me. And you, you know what it's like when somebody must be in control due to their insecurity It's sometimes awkward. It's sort of like walking on eggshells around them because you're not sure what they're going to say or how they're going to try to manipulate or take charge. Here's another example. My insecurity shows up when I feel I should be in the know. In the know. This person will think, how come I didn't know that? Why wasn't I in that text thread? Why wasn't I invited to that meeting? Why does that family... Why, why didn't the neighbors invite us? When did that happen to you? Nobody ever... And it's this idea of being in the know. Especially in... It can be in a, uh, a regular workplace. It can be in a factory. It can be in a corporate setting. People have this desire when they're insecure to be in the know. And you know what runs rampant with this insecurity? What do you think? Gossip. Gossip. And usually somebody will say something like this, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, I did. Well, how did you know? You already told me that. All right. My insecurity shows up when I feel like I should be in the position. In the position, on the org chart. This starts when we're kids. The idea to be the first in line, the first to get the best cookie that's on the plate And uh, as adults, we may go, hey, I deserve a better position. I should be recognized. Because deep down, we might want a little more power, a little more influence. An insecure person might be clamoring for position because they really want the power. And they diminish others who get in the way. How about in the spotlight? In the spotlight, this person needs to be the center of attention. Attention. Now, I am literally in a spotlight right now, all right? But being in the spotlight does not mean just being on stage, wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard. It can be in a conversation. It can be in a group of people. It's somebody who talks too much, and that's my downfall because I enjoy getting up and talking. If I'm insecure, not only might I be wanting to be in control, I might find myself, talking or dominating the conversation. How about you? Here's another one. In demand. This person can't say no. Can't say no. He or she believes that the more you are being asked to do things, the more teams, the more committees, the more groups you're being asked to be part of, people will start to understand just how important we are, and then we'll feel more valued, maybe. How about this one? Insensitive. Hey, if they're going to talk nasty to me, I'm going to talk nasty to them. When we're feeling insecure, there's no forgiveness toward one another. When we're feeling insecure and we're insensitive, it tends to come out verbally, oftentimes in anger, or it might be what the last one is that I want you to see. We might go into hiding. We might just withdraw. When I'm insecure, one of the ways that my sweetheart Linda can tell is that I get quiet and I withdraw. All right, so I gave you seven examples of what insecurity looks like, how it can show up that we might feel this way. Now here's a survey, be as honest as you can. How many of you thought of at least someone who fits one of those seven descriptions? You thought of someone, come on, be honest, yeah, yeah, I, oh yeah, yeah. You don't have to raise your hand. Did we think about someone else first, or did we think about ourselves first? This is probably one of those times, this statement is not original with me, this is probably when we need holy discontent and say, God, it's about you, not about me, so before I'm worrying about how insecure everybody else is and the way it shows up, let's work on me. Let's work on me. All right, so with that in mind, I want to take you to uh, the next choice that we need to make on a regular basis, and number three, identify what is causing my insecurity. Let's see if we can identify. I gave you an example of when I was an overweight kid and being bullied and being teased, and I wanted approval so bad, and that experience, that season of my life really impacted me. Here's one reason, one cause of our insecurity. We forget who we are in Christ. We hear it. I mean, my sense in conversation with all of you is that you're all at least pretty regularly involved in church and the fact that you're here, you're interested in growing spiritually. But sometimes we just plain forget about who we are in Christ Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Think about that, holy, that's how he sees us. The world has a perception of how it sees us, we have a perception of how we think we measure up to the world, but God is saying, no, no, no. I see you as holy and blameless because of what Jesus has done. God has decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We're adopted as his children. He wants to make us holy. Sometimes we forget that. Six years ago, one of my best friends really caught me off guard. I was in my office at church, and uh, he called up, and uh, I could tell he was sobbing. He was just crying. He said, Byron, I just pulled over to the side of the road. I need to talk. I said, what's up? And he just blurted out, I had an affair. I had led this friend of mine to Christ when he was a sophomore in high school. Totally faked me out. And for a while, he had faked his wife out. And the, the the horrendous realization of how he had messed up. And of course, I reminded him of forgiveness. I reminded him of God's love, that God can do the impossible, could save his marriage. But over the course of weeks and months, he would say things like, "Byron." There can't be any way that God can love me as much now as he did before the affair. I go, but he does. Because of Jesus' blood, he sees you as holy and blameless. And then he'd do okay for a while, and then we'd have another conversation, and he would express his doubts again. And when he doubted God's love and forgiveness for him as his child, you know what happens? He started to depend on God's strength to restore him less and less. And when you depend on God less, you depend on yourself more. And when you depend on yourself more, you screw up more. And when you screw up more, you doubt God's love more. And when you doubt God's love, you depend on yourself. You mess up more. It's this vicious, vicious cycle. It's like a small snowball start, starting at the top of a mountain and rolling down just out of, cont- out of control. That was my friend. He's doing great now, but it took time of healing and forgiveness, and he had to get to the place where he recognized, my identity is in Christ, not in my failures, but in Jesus who has saved me in spite of my failures. Here's another cause sometimes and we want to identify what's causing our insecurities. We compare ourselves with others. You know, we'll look at famous people, celebrities, athletes. I was going to say politicians, but I don't think that, uh, that works anymore. Um, you know, uh, we th- as, as kids, I remember my sister it was all about the Ken and Barbie doll, and, you know, and little girls wanted to be like Barbie, and, and, uh, and I never wanted to be like Ken. I didn't care. Uh, but, uh, or a Disney princess, you know, or now... I wish for just one afternoon I could be like Patrick Mahomes. You know, just for one afternoon, it would be amazing. And I might feel jealous because when I compare myself to others, that's when the doubt sets in. That's when I forget who I am in Christ, that my identity is in Him. And when I start comparing myself to others, the insecurity can totally take over. By the way, a little tip, if you want to feel better about yourself, When it comes to comparing, just go and sit in the mall for a while and watch a thousand people go by. You'll probably feel better about yourself in some way. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6, pay careful attention to your own work for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to everyone else. Here's another thing that can cause our insecurity and we're trying to identify. So as I'm going through this See if you can get a handle on what maybe causes your struggle with insecurity. We can't let go of a painful past. We can't let go of a painful past. People who have been victimized or abused or experienced failure need extra grace in dealing with insecurity. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When I was uh, pastoring in southern Minnesota for 11 years, there was a, a, a time when the four of us pastors went through an evaluation about how we were doing in our role as pastors. And so they filled out a survey. There were about 12 or 13 leaders, board members, elders, and all of that. And they fill out the survey, and the the ranking with about 50 questions was 1 to 5. And 5 was the highest, 1 was the lowest. And so we actually read the results for the four of us pastors in front of the four pastors and in front of the 13 leaders in our church. And as we went through it, for the most part... The other three pastors and myself, we were getting fours and fives. It was feeling good. But there was one that was giving me a one on everything. In fact, one elder blurted out, he says, I think somebody misunderstood. They probably thought that one was the best, five was the worst. You're good. You're doing good, Pastor Byron. You're doing really good. Of course, I went home thinking about that. The next morning, I'm back in my office. Phone rings. Phone rings. And on the other end, I hear hyperventilation. (laughs) I said, who is this? This is Mark. It's Mark. I said, Mark, what's wrong? Did something happen? An accident? Patty, the kids, what's going on, man? (laughs) I'm in crisis. I'm in crisis. I said, okay, take a breath. Take a breath. Tell me what's wrong. What's wrong? You know, last night when we did the evaluation and you got all these ones? I said, yeah. I'm the only leader who realizes what a bad job you're doing as our pastor." And first I thought I was being punked, (laughs) and so we got together to talk. And it was bizarre, isn't it interesting though, in his moment of crisis, because he thought he was the only one who knew what a bad pastor I was. He came to me as his pastor for comfort and help in dealing with his crisis. (laughs) Think about that. So, we get together, and I wish I had done this earlier. I learned his story. You know what I learned? Pretty dysfunctional family. He wasn't letting go of his painful past. He He had a brother who played professional football, His brother was much better looking. His parents said things to him, why can't you be like your brother or your sister? They're successful. And he had this emotional, dysfunctional abuse, and this was his opportunity in his own insecurity of not letting go of his painful past to lash out toward me. Here's the good news. We listened, we prayed, we started getting together. He took some time off. And he became a friend, and he became one of the best leaders in our church of advancing the mission because he was allowing the Holy Spirit to let go of his painful past in him, to give him strength, to give him him courage, to keep him focused in his identity in Christ. Here's another one. We believe Satan's lies. We believe Satan's lies, John 8, 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, don't raise your hands, but I want you to reflect. Have you ever heard a little voice inside of you saying, you're really no good? Oh, you can, you can at times come across like you get this Christian thing, but deep down inside, you know, you're sort of a mess. Remember what you did the other night? Remember how you thought about that one person two days ago? Remember how you say you want to follow Jesus in obedience? (laughs) You're not doing it, and you never will. Don't raise your hand. I've been there. I'm guessing each of you has at some point. That is a lie from the pit of hell, from Satan lying to us to defeat us. Have you heard that elephants have a good memory? Have you heard that? I learned this years ago, and I love this. The reason that they can be on the grounds of a circus in town with one of their jihugic legs, chained, just a regular-sized chain to one metal stake in the ground, they have the power to pull it up and run off and terrorize the neighborhood. But they don't. Do you know why? Because they have such a good memory. Because what they remember is that when they were a tiny baby elephant, they were chained up like that and they couldn't get loose. And so in their mind, they're going, that's my life. And that's the lie from Satan. That's your life. Oh, and by the way, God doesn't love you as much as he used to. So what are we going to do? Let's go back to that Galatians passage. Katie, let's put that up again. My old self, and we've looked at a lot of examples about that in the last half hour, has been crucified with Christ. Picture whatever is dark in your life or the lie you've believed or the insecurity that has consumed you and picture it being nailing to the cross along with our sins. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We have to be intentional every single day about desiring to bring glory to God. Not about ourselves. Perhaps share our struggle with at least one other person or a small group. God will give us victory over insecurity. Truly, if our desire is to glorify Him every day. Let me close with this. When I was pastoring at another church, <clears throat> we had a, a 16-year-old girl named Chelsea in our church who was a you know, beautiful sophomore in high school, sports, involved, You know, lots of friends, everything going for her, Christian. And uh, she was in a horrible snowmobile accident, severed her spinal cord, and so she was totally paralyzed from here on down, and then both hands, almost completely disabled, and oh by the way, completely blind. She was in the Mayo Clinic Hospital for, I think, three months in a coma. And I remember Linda and I standing with her parents, Rod and Bonnie, beside her bed, all hooked up to these machines, wondering if she would live. Even wondering, would it be better if she didn't live because of what was ahead of her? But we prayed for God's will, and Chelsea came out of the coma. She was in the hospital for another three months, came home, and then about two months later, she showed up in a wheelchair, brought by her parents to our church, and we were having a praise and worship time that Sunday, and actually my younger brother, who was a youth pastor with me, he was roaming the audience with a handheld mic saying, who has a word to praise Jesus today? And a couple people shared, and then from the back of the auditorium, all of a sudden I heard, ah, ah and it got quiet. And we look back and I went, Chelsea, she's sitting in the back in her wheelchair. And her dad is, is trying to keep her arm down. He, he's not sure what she's going to say or what she's going to do. And it's shaking and it, in its deformity. And you know, at this moment, think about it. How many people would go, My identity is that I'm a paraplegic, my identity is that I'm a blind person. Not Chelsea. Mike puts the mic in front of her face. And she goes, I praise God. Mike said, oh, you're praising God. Tell us why. Because I'm alive. Hallelujah. And the many times that I've talked to her in the years since then, There's something about being in her presence where the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit sort of just oozes out of her. And when you ask her about her life, she says, I love Jesus, I want to bring glory to Him. Chelsea's identity is completely in Christ, bringing Him glory and glory. Let's give God glory. Let's pray. Father God, I find myself full of emotion in this moment because I know how real this insecurity thing is for people. We go through seasons, and then we struggle, and then we do better for a while. So, Father, I'm praying in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will do the work that only your Spirit can do in the hearts and minds and souls of everybody in this room right now, that they would recognize your unconditional love for them, that you created them fearfully and wonderfully. That you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. And you want to give them victory over Satan's attacks. You want to give them victory in overcoming the insecurities that we all deal with. God, we want to trust you on a daily basis to remember that our identity is in you. And to trust you and live for your glory, not for ours. Would you do that for us, Jesus? Thank you.